this is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona, this is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. That's why this audience is gonna have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room, Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. were counted more than once. I bet he took New York and carried California as well. Trump won and you know it. Trump won and you know it. The 
Vladimir Putin announced this week that Russia will begin using the Chinese yuan uh, for international payments instead of the dollar. Saudi Arabia is also in talks with Beijing to do the same thing. Speaking of Saudi Arabia, meanwhile, they are in talks uh, with Iran as well to consider an economic alliance with China in Russia. And they can even be joining the BRIC countries, which is an acronym for these countries here, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. These countries all have emerging economies. So what happens if our economy and the U.S. dollar are no longer the world's dominant currency? Former Assistant Treasury Secretary and host of the Monica Crowley podcast, Monica Crowley, is here to weigh in. Monica, great to see you this morning. Uh, let's start right there. What happens if these emerging economies move away from the U.S. dollar towards the Chinese yuan? Well, good morning, Will. It's great to be with you. And it's really hard to overstate exactly how catastrophic the abandonment of the U.S. dollar would be uh, as the world's uh, global reserve currency. Look, since the end of World War II, the dollar has been the safe place to go. And it's been backed up by a couple of things. It originally was backed up by gold, but President Nixon took, took us off the gold standard, so there's no hard asset backing up the dollar anymore for the last 50 years. But also, it's been backed up by the strength and economic power of the United States and the fact that oil has always been traded in dollars. If that were to end, that would mean the end of the U.S. dollar. Look, th there is a perfect storm happening right now, Will. The, the world's uh, reserve currency, being that, uh, having that status, has been a real privilege. But we've abused the privilege by wholly reckless monetary and fiscal policies over many years, certainly over the last couple of years, which has really devalued the dollar. On top of that, now you do have this perfect storm of Biden's weakness, his war on American domestic energy production, the Ukraine war, and as you point out, because of all of these things, we've got America's enemies led by China forming a new economic block. And all it would take at this point now, because we're at this pivotal moment, Will, mm -hmm. is for Saudi Arabia, who has indicated that they're open to this, to say, you know what, we're going to be open to considering other currencies to trade in oil. If that were to happen, there would be a complete implosion of the global economic system, but certainly the American economic system. And if that were to happen, you'd be looking at sky-high inflation, just raging Weimar Republic kind of inflation. If you think inflation is bad now, just wait. But more importantly, we would lose our economic dominance and we would right. lose our superpower status. Uh, Monica, the world's reserve currency, you said it's a privilege for the United States, for the dollar to have been the world's currency. What, how does that relate to each individual American? How has that changed or impacted or improved our lives throughout the last several decades? Yeah, I mean, it's given the United States incredible dominance um, in, in the world in terms of the economic system and in terms of trade. It's kept prices down. Mm. So whether it's energy prices, whether it's your food prices, the, the entire global economic system is reliant on the safe and secure dollar. But that is no longer true, again, because we've been printing money like crazy and devalued right. uh, the power of the dollar and the value of the dollar. But on top of of it now again 
oil is the critical linchpin of this. If Saudi Arabia decides to join with America's enemies here and start trading oil in different currencies, that is going to undermine the entire global right. economic system. And here at home, you know what it's going to mean for us? It's going to mean raging inflation, so much worse than anything we have ever experienced well. Yeah. And I'll tell you, they're setting it up so that they can then come to the rescue by introducing central bank digital currencies. Right. If they were to do that, and the United States already has a pilot program, that means the loss of your individual economic freedom, because the government will have total access and control of everything you buy and sell, and the ability to turn it off like wow. that. Ominous warning. I hear you. Saudi Arabia is the tipping point. Oil trading in dollars is the tipping point. Okay, it's Monday, 27 March in the year of our Lord, uh, 2023. Um, number one, Trump did win. We can't play that song enough. Uh, but we're here. I got Ben Harnwell in Rome. And Ben, we've had, of course, our own Monica Crowley up there on Fox. And I'm going to play Fareed Sakar in a second. The, the, the talk is about, um, you know, they're all panicked now because what we've been talking about the last couple of years is about, uh, the, the China and Russia coming together, but particularly going after the American currency by using the Chinese yuan. I know uh, at the end of the morning show, you start talking about this foreign policy story on on China and Russia coming together. You're in Rome, and, and Ben joins us in Rome today. What, what has the impact of the importance of this sunk into the European people yet? Do they under do they see this alliance coming together of of Persia? in the House of Saud, and Qatar, and Turkey, and Pakistan, and uh, obviously many, me in North Korea, but principally around the orbit of the Chinese Communist Party and their junior partners, uh, the KGB in Moscow, sir? Absolutely not, Steve. In short. How can they possibly, what was the, what was the perception? Because here, and you're here for Reed Zakara say it when he comes on, there was very little media, given the importance of this, there was very little media coverage of this week. I mean, obviously, the war room's been on this 24-7. But in the general media, uh, there was relatively small coverage of this. What was the coverage like in, in Europe on this historic meeting? Um, well, it was really, I, I think it, it matched people's expecting, expectations. They expected Xi to go um, and to stand by Putin to, to the degree that he was expected to do so, uh, to the enthusiasm he was expected to do so, to the commitments he was expected uh, to, to deliver. Um, those were, were the variables, but there was, there was no real doubt that, that Russia and China are, are they're the constellations have been moving together, thanks, of course, to, um, to Western pressure. I think um, the, the the situation is, of course, with what, why what she is obviously acting in China's interests here, um, and the question is, well, why would he be doing this? Why is it in China's national interests to face down the rest of the world, the West, in supporting Russia? You know, does China have a have have a have a dog in this fight? Well, not particularly in the Russia versus Ukraine uh, land border dispute. What she's interested in is pr prolonging the war because that was winding down, grinding down the West to give, to open up, obviously, on, on the other side of the Chinese territory, to open up the vista there um, to do a naval blockade on, on Taiwan or something like that. Um, obviously, the more bankrupt we are in the West, the more we've depleted 
uh, our military uh, reserves, the more we've ground down the appetite <laughs> in the West for war, the freer hand she has on, on Taiwan. That's his interest. And that is why he went there and gave every indication of standing by what he said a year ago, that there was um, a, an, an unbreakable bond um, with no limits between China and Russia. You're, you're in Rome, and we had the uh, great young analyst of policy, Sonar, who wrote a book about his entire book was about it has never been translated in English. I would love to do that. But he's, his book is about the CCP on the One Belt, One, One Road initiative, particularly around Venice, actually coming in and becoming a major player behind the scenes in Italian politics with just money for One Belt, One Road. In the same time, you've got the Vatican has signed, not just signed a secret deal with the Chinese Communist Party, of which Cardinal Zen, you know, actually made a huge, you know, he flew to Rome, he wanted to see the Pope, he said, you can't do this. Then they've re-upped it. How, how bad is, the, is really the, uh, the influence peddling and the subversion of the CCP into these European governments? I know in the Czech situation, it's terrible, right? You had it, you had a, now they're finally standing up a little bit, but you had one of the senior leaders. I remember I met with him a couple of years ago, and he tried to field strip me about my, my adamant uh, warrior-like nature against the CCP. What? How bad is it in Italy? The um, this, <laughs> the CCP is meddling in the internal affairs of European member states. Um, but listen, I, I need to, to be uh, to be impartial here when I come on this show. I'm not sure that the CCP's meddling in European nation states' affairs is any worse than the CIA's meddling over here in continental Europe. Um, it hasn't particularly taken a noticeable back step from the fall of the Berlin Wall. What, what's going on is that two power blocks, two economic and military power blocks, are pursuing their own interests ruthlessly. And um, here in continental Europe, you've got, the, you've got the US military industrial complex on the one hand and the CCP on the other. The way they're going about exerting that influence is different. It limits itself in different ways. Um, but th that's, that's, that's the reality of the real politique. Yeah. What I would say, you know, when you ask me the, the, the absolutely correct question, um, because it's an existential question here for, 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 for Western civilization, whether people are paying attention to what's going on with these, the, 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 the shifting of the constellations um, and the alliances um, on the other side of, of the, the NATO Wall. Well, no, but one of the substantial reasons for that is, is because you really require, if you really want to penetrate into that conversation and get these ideas across, you really need political players, um, either in government, at a head of state or head of government level, or candidates at that level who aim for that, uh, to, to move the discourse themselves, which is a lot of what Donald Trump himself, himself did, both as a candidate and then as an incumbent. And there is you know, the only person I could indicate on continental Europe um, who has that kind of authenticity and grasp is Viktor Orban in Hungary, um, who isn't necessarily as, um, as um, it, uh, impartial um, as perhaps you'll be looking for on, on the US stage, but he's an absolute hero in terms of, what I mean to say is that Hungarian national interests aren't necessarily going to work out and be American national interests, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, um, but he's an absolute hero in putting his country first. Uh, and if more countries 
in continental Europe were prepared to do that and face down the European Union um, in, in doing that. Europe would be a far healthier place. As it is, uh, it's easy pickings for, 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 the, for the two main power blocks I mentioned earlier. Uh, hang on for one second. You remember you were with me in Rome a number of years ago. I think it was in 18 or 19. I think it was in 19 when Fried Zakara, so that was four years ago, Fried Zakara, we did the, we did the interview with Fried Zakara and talked about this very, this very uh, issue about China and the rise of China and China trying to partner and becoming a threat to the EU of, uh, of, of using one belt, one road to actually get into the European elites. Fried Zakara actually is a convert. Yes, finally, after all these years of talking to him, he now understands the absolute uh, a threatening nature of this alliance this global alliance, particularly off the Eurasian landmass, that is trying to destroy the U.S. dollar. Let's go ahead and play uh, Fareed Zakhar, and we're going to return with Ben Harnwell for his comments on that. So let's hear Fareed at CNN. Here's my take. The most interesting outcome of the three-day summit between Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping got limited media attention. Describing their talks, Putin said, we are in favor of using the Chinese yuan for settlements between Russia and the countries of Asia, Africa, and Latin America. So, the world's second largest economy and its largest energy exporter are together actively trying to dent the dollar's dominance as the anchor of the international financial system. Will they succeed? The dollar is America's last surviving superpower. It gives Washington unrivaled economic and political muscle. It can slap sanctions on countries unilaterally, which frees that country out of large parts of the world economy. And Washington can spend freely, certain that its debt will be bought up by the rest of the world. The war against Ukraine, combined with Washington's increasingly confrontational approach to China, have created a perfect storm in which both Russia and China are accelerating efforts to diversify away from the dollar. Their central banks are keeping less of their reserves in dollars, and most trade between them is being settled in the yuan. They are also making efforts to get other countries to follow suit. The Biden administration has handled the economic war against Russia extremely effectively by building a coalition of almost all the world's advanced economies. That makes it hard to escape from the dollar into other highly valued stable currencies like the euro or the pound or the Canadian dollar because those countries are also warring with Russia. What might have been a sharper turning point for the dollar's role was Donald Trump's decision in May 2018 to pull out of the Iran nuclear deal. The European Union was strenuously opposed to this move, but it watched as the dollar's dominance meant that Iran was immediately excluded from the world economy. Jean-Claude Juncker, then president of the European Commission, proposed enhancing the euro's role internationally to shield the continent from what he called selfish unilateralism. The Commission outlined a path to achieve this. It hasn't happened. There remain too many fundamental doubts about the future of the euro itself. Dollar dominance is firmly entrenched for many good reasons. A globalized economy needs a single currency for ease and efficiency. The dollar is stable. You can buy and sell it any time, and it's governed largely by the market and not the whims of a government. That's why China's efforts to expand the yuan's role internationally have not worked. Ironically, if Xi Jinping wanted to cause the greatest pain to America, 
he would liberalize his financial sector and make the yuan a true competitor to the dollar. But that would take him in the direction of markets and openness that is the opposite of his current domestic goals. All that said, Washington's weaponizing of the dollar over the last decade has led many important countries to search for ways to make sure that they do not become the next Russia. The numbers are revealing. The share of dollars in global central bank reserves has dropped from roughly 70% 20 years ago to less than 60% today and falling steadily. The Europeans and the Chinese are trying to build international payment systems outside the dollar-dominated SWIFT. Saudi Arabia has flirted with the idea of pricing its oil in yuan. India is settling most of its oil purchases from Russia in non-dollar currencies. Digital currencies might be another alternative, and in fact, China's central bank has created one. All of these alternatives add costs. But the last few years should have taught us that increasingly nations are willing to pay a price when they want political goals to trump economic ones. We keep searching for the single replacement for the dollar, and there will not be one. But could the currency suffer weakness by a thousand cuts? That seems a more likely scenario. The author and investor Ruchir Sharma points out, right now, for the first time in my memory, we have an international financial crisis in which the dollar has been weakening rather than strengthening. I wonder if this is a sign of things to come. If it is, Americans should worry. I spoke last week about the bad geopolitical habits Washington has developed because of its unrivaled unipolar status. It's even more true economically. America's politicians have gotten very used to spending seemingly without any concern about deficits. Public debt in America has risen almost five-fold, from roughly $6.5 trillion 20 years ago to $31.5 trillion today. The Fed has solved a series of financial crises by massively expanding its balance sheet almost 12-fold, from around $730 billion 20 years ago to about $8.7 trillion today. All of this only works because of the dollar's unique status. If that were to wane, America will face a reckoning like none before. Okay, uh, welcome back. Uh, ben, you were there. Freed was, was, was not buying it at the time. I mean, he understood the overall construct, uh, but he wasn't buying it. Remember when they made the movie, what was it called? The Brink, and the young filmmaker who absolutely hated my guts. I would sit there and try to explain to her the, the geopolitics of all this, of Persia, Turkey, and China, and that we had to make sure that we stop uh, Russia from uniting with them. She would look at me like, what are you even talking about, right? Was not, and we were in Hungary at the time. We went to Prague. Uh, we went to Budapest. We were in Rome. Uh, all of it. Uh, give us your sense uh, of, of this. Uh, th we got a couple minutes. I want your sense of over the weekend, the escalation, and it was escalation, of, of Russia talking about putting missiles into nuclear weapons, tactical nuclear weapons, into Belarus. Is, is, is that rattled the capitals of Europe, sir? Yeah, because uh, the Western media here in Europe has, you know, there's an anatomy here of how to gaslight your own people. And it starts with you provoke Russia into doing something. Russia responds to defend its own national interests. You then have all the international points, supposedly neutral points of authority in the, the, the so-called international rules-based order, then entering the debate on the side of the West. 
Um, and then you have the final coup de grace is Ukraine coming in, demanding that, that sort of ever escalatory uh, response um, to, to Russians, to Russia's actions. And that's exactly in that order, exactly what we've had here. And of course, the Western media has come in and said this basically just illustrates that Putin is either crazy or, or his brinkmanship is, um, is reckless because this moves us ever closer to nuclear war. There's no, there's literally, Steve, there's zero introspection. Uh, there's zero interest in thinking, well, why is Putin doing this? You know, if, if, if politics and international politics especially is basically a cause and effect type uh, game, why has Putin done this? Why has Putin for the first time since the fall of the Berlin Wall said that he's going to place nuclear weapons outside of Russia's border? That is obviously something that NATO has been doing uh, since, since its foundation. Uh, that's part of the NATO's DNA. Um, but Russia, since the fall of the Soviet Union, hasn't done that. And it's now doing that. And this is basically being spun um, to a very uninformed and uh, brainwashed public, uh, as in the further illustration that the, that the right here is with the West and not with Russia. Ben, how do, you're back off assignment. How do people get to you now uh, back on Getter? What's, what's the address? You're putting up all your stuff and you're doing the show again. What, tell us uh, where do people go. That, thanks, Steve. Getter, that's my exclusive platform for social media. It's simply my surname, Harnwell, there. You can see it at the bottom of the screen if you need to know how to spell it. At Harnwell, there I am on Getter, and that's where my analysis goes. Okay, uh, Ben, thank you so much. Appreciate you thanks, staying Steve. up and Go having you on. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, uh, com slash Bannon. I want you to go right now. You've got to immerse yourself in understanding the world's economy, in understanding macroeconomics, and understanding precious metals. It's doable, and we're going to help you do it. Go to uh, com slash Bannon right now. There's a three-part series, The End of the Dollar Empire. You heard uh, Monica Crowley and you heard uh, Fareed talk about it. Well, we've been talking about it now for a year and a half. We got a three-part series. It's eventually going to be 10 parts. You get the third part, the debt trap, which right now is talking about the debt ceiling, everything to do with spending, what's causing inflation. So go check it out right now. Also, while you're there at Birch Gold, you can get all the free info kits about your 401k, your IRA, all of it. So go check it out to now. It's totally free. You should immerse yourself in all this. Short commercial break. We're going to come back. We got Joe Allen. Got a great cold open. Joe Allen is going to join us about artificial intelligence. The whole world's Woke up to it now. Be back in a moment. Americans have had it. They're done supporting companies that rake in hundreds of millions, sometimes billions of dollars, while trashing the country that made their success possible. Until recently, we had to take it. But companies like Patriot Mobile are building a whole new economy, one which embraces the values that made America the greatest country on earth. Patriot Mobile, America's only Christian conservative wireless provider, offers dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks so you can get the best possible service in your area. Plus, they offer a coverage guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch to a different network for free without changing carriers. All this, plus the knowledge that you're supporting free speech, the sanctity of life, the Second Amendment, and our military and first responder heroes. They're 100% 
U.S.-based customer service team makes switching easy. Just go to PatriotMobile.com slash Bannon. That's PatriotMobile.com slash Bannon. Or call them right now at 878-PATRIOT. That's 878-PATRIOT. Get free activation today with the offer code Bannon. We need to stand together and support companies that share our values. Remember, stop giving monies to companies that hate you. Support the Patriot Mobiles of the world. That's patriotmobile.com slash Bannon or call 878-PATRIOT. A lot of people complain about the state of our country or the way woke corporations treat us and their employees. But it's not enough to complain. We need to change the way the marketplace works. And that starts with you and where you spend your money. In less than a year, Public SQ has grown to be the largest platform of patriotic, freedom-loving businesses the world has ever seen. Whether you want to support a restaurant that only buys from local farms, a coffee shop that took a stand against COVID mandates, or a bank that would never counsel you, counsel you for your political views, Public SQ is your guide. There's also interactive, sensor-free community groups where you can connect with other local members. Here's the best part. It's absolutely, totally free to join. Just go to publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. Public, the word, the letters, sq.com. And download the app today, totally free. Simply create an account and begin your search. You can also list your business for free so your local community can start to support you. We can't always change the world, but we can change how and where we spend our hard-earned dollars. Begin your search at Public Square today. Go to publicsq.com. That's publicsq.com. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a small retail business almost $80,000. COVIDtaxrelief.org got a manufacturing business nearly 250 grand. And COVIDtaxrelief.org just got a large distribution business almost $900,000. If you run a business, church, or nonprofit and paid your employees through all or part of the pandemic, you could qualify for up to $26,000 per employee through the government's CARES Act. But beware of clickbait or pay upfront companies who make you do the work and take a huge percentage of your refund. COVIDtaxrelief.org receives a low reasonable commission only after you receive your refund. And with 300 CPAs and tax experts, no one is better at getting you the maximum benefit than COVIDtaxrelief.org. Visit COVIDtaxrelief.org now because this plan expires soon. That's COVIDtaxrelief.org, COVIDtaxrelief.org. The refund examples are not a guarantee and not all businesses qualify. That's why you have to check today with COVIDtaxrelief.org. We stand on the precipice of fundamental societal transformation. Nobody knows when, but many, including me, believe it's within our lifetime the collective intelligence of the human species begins to pale in comparison by many orders of magnitude to the general superintelligence in the AI systems we build and deploy at scale. The increase in quality of life that AI can deliver 
is extraordinary. We can make the world amazing and we can make people's lives amazing. We can cure diseases. We can increase material wealth. We can like help people be happier, more fulfilled, all of these sorts of things. And then people are like, oh, well, no one is going to work. But people want status. People want drama. People want new things. People want to create. People want to like feel useful. We're just going to find new and different ways to do them, even in a vastly better, like unimaginably good standard of living world. I, yeah. I want to be clear. I think like these systems will make a lot of jobs just go away. Every technological revolution does. And there's some folks who consider all the different problems with a super intelligent AI system. So uh, one of them is Eliezer Yudkowsky. He warns that AI will likely kill all humans. And there's a bunch of different cases. But one way to summarize it is that it's almost impossible to keep AI aligned as it becomes super intelligent. So first of all, I will say I think that there's some chance of that. And it's really important to acknowledge it because if we don't talk about it, if we don't treat it as potentially real, we won't put enough effort into solving it. Do you think GPT-4 is conscious? I think no, but... I asked GPT-4 and of course it says no. Do you think an AI can be conscious? I'm certainly willing to believe that consciousness is somehow the fundamental substrate and we're all just in the dream or the simulation or whatever. Yeah. I think it's interesting how much the Silicon Valley religion of the simulation mm -hmm. has gotten close to like... Brahmin and how little space there is between them, um, but from these very different directions. So like maybe that's what's going on. But if, if it is like physical reality as we understand it and all of the rules of the game are what we think they are, then there's something, I still think it's something very strange. What are the different ways you think AGI might go wrong? I think it's weird when people like think it's like a big dunk that I say like I'm a little bit afraid and I think it'd be crazy not to be a little bit afraid. And I empathize with people who are a lot afraid. The current worries that I have are that there are going to be disinformation problems or economic shocks or something else at a level far beyond anything we're prepared for. And that doesn't require super intelligence. That doesn't require a super deep alignment problem in the machine waking up and trying to deceive us. So these systems deployed at scale can... Um shift the winds of geopolitics and so on how would we know if like on twitter we were mostly having llms direct the whatever's flowing through that hive mind as on twitter so everywhere else eventually yeah how would we know my statement is we wouldn't and that's a real danger at this point it is a certainty there are soon going to be a lot of capable open sourced llms with very few to none no safety controls on them Okay, um, welcome once again, startling. Joe Allen joins us, our editor of All Things Transhumanism. As I continue to say, I, I think we're still inside the 100-day window since, hold on, it was January to February, February to March. Man, we're, we got a long ways to go. It was mid-January. We're just outside of 60 days on the introduction of uh, chat GPT uh, on artificial intelligence. Walk us through what we just saw uh, Joe Allen. Well, Steve, uh, you had Darren Beatty's favorite character, Lex Friedman, uh, interviewing Sam Altman, CEO of OpenAI. Uh, you know, what I see in that interview uh, is you have two true believers uh, who really believe that artificial general intelligence, some kind of super intelligent version of AGI is over the horizon. They have differing opinions on when Everyone has differ differing opinions on when, but they both seem to agree that uh, GPT technology 
is a, a huge leap forward in that direction. I mean, you, you also heard a lot of stuff about, uh, you know, the, the impact on jobs. I, I think that Sam Altman's essay, Moore's Law of Everything, is really informative here as to, as to how he feels about it. Basically, the idea is that in the same way that transistors uh, doubled in capacity every 18 months, uh, as the price went down, uh, you're going to see the same sort of exponential increase in artificial intelligence and its impact on jobs will be tremendous. Uh, if nothing else, the anticipation of employers that artificial intelligence is going to be more efficient at these jobs than their current employees is going to lead to a sort of, uh, you know, a, a readiness to lay people off. But I really think you can see with the actual capacities of GPT technology, good reason to believe that these jobs really are under threat. And that includes everything from copywriters to journalists uh, to teachers. And I, it really is that last one that probably bothers me the most, Steve, is we've covered a lot. The uh, ideas that, say, Bill Gates has as to what this technology should be used for to educate young people uh, you have two things going on there. One, a younger population that will inevitably be brainwashed by whatever sorts of biases are, are, are programmed into these AIs that are teaching them. But most importantly, teachers, I think, are among the most valuable people you have in any society. Education is the most valuable quality of any advanced society. And a teacher's job, of course, is to accumulate knowledge, become excellent in their field, and then transmit that information, not only through teaching, but also through modeling behavior for the students. A lot of people on our side of the aisle just say, well, all of these teachers are corrupt anyway. All of these teachers uh, have, have become basically woke or whatever. They're teaching kids to be transgender or whatever. And so they really aren't all that sentimental about the loss of these teaching jobs. And I understand that. But I think that the devastation of our, the, to our society is the same nonetheless. You, instead of reaching out and bringing in better teachers or forcing those teachers who are dragging their heels now to become excellent, there's this sort of blasé feeling that, oh, well, we can just simply uh, dismiss them because the machines will do a better job. And then maybe most importantly, Steve, Friedman and Altman are talking about the real dangers that these technologies pose. Not just GPT, all of these sorts of AI systems that are becoming a critical part of different infrastructure controls or weapon systems or biological systems, all of these pose various dangers to humanity and the most extreme cases that get brought up by the AI safety people, the AI starts killing people. And you, you heard though Altman, I think that Altman is, there are a lot of things to uh, dislike about Altman, but I don't think that he's being dishonest. And he's talking about the most immediate danger with GPT is the, the danger of mass disinformation when the internet is flooded with large language models and not just GPT, you have a whole array of companies and independent projects that are releasing these large language models into the wild. And as the internet fills up with these synthetic minds, 
people are going to be more and more uh, a persuaded by these sort of disinformation bots or those who are skeptical b unable to really trust or tell whether or not uh, the, the the people or the characters that they're interacting with or reading on the internet are even real people at all and so you know in some steve i think that what you hear in that interview with this sort of true believer philosophy and especially when you get into stuff like the simulation theory or what altman calls uh, the silicon valley religion of the simulation what you see is this technocratic or technological elite who have literally lost their minds and they are intent on dragging the rest of us into their psychosis with the belief that they're going to make our lives better i think that the, the audience has every reason to be afraid but i think the biggest thing the audience needs to do is brace for the impact of these technologies and figure out how they're going to organize their lives in a world, a corporate world, religious world, or educational world, where these technologies are going to be pushed on us from the top continually. Joe, how do people get to all your writings, uh, Substack, uh, everything uh, that you've got going on, including your war room and social media? Uh, you can find me at jobot.xyz, warroom.org under the transhumanism tab, social media, Twitter, and Gitter at J-O-E-B-O-T-X-Y-Z. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you, brother. Uh, we're doing a massive drill down, as you can tell, and everything dealing with the singularity and artificial intelligence. Okay, for the next couple of days, we're going to be in East Palestine. We come back tomorrow, we're going to be in East Palestine, Ohio, out there with the deplorables, MAGA, uh, the working class people, Democrats, independents, all of it. What we're, what we're, uh, it's most important for us is to have the back of the people in East Palestine. We have a show tomorrow morning, afternoon, and then on Wednesday, we're out there for a couple of days. Want to make sure everybody tunes in tomorrow. We're also going to be doing breaking news, capital markets, geopolitics the entire time, but make sure you join us. It's going to be very, very special of what you're going to see. And here, remember the inflection point from President Trump's campaign was him, was President Trump going to East Palestine. We want to end tonight by going to this amazing, this amazing uh, video by Benny Johnson. is one of the best uh, citizen journalists out there. Benny's been doing an incredible job. We're going to now go. This is a whistleblower. They're going to get the true story of what really happened with Buttigieg and the Biden regime in East Palestine. Take it away. Benny Johnson's video. We'll see you tomorrow morning live in uh, East Palestine, Ohio. Yo, what's up, guys? It's Benny. What happens when your practical joke actually ends up uncovering a massive bombshell news story? Earlier this week, we staged a fake water station in front of the Department of Transportation in Washington, D.C. We gave out water bottles. These water bottles were from Whole Foods. The joke was that they were from East Palestine, the tap water that the Department of Transportation poisoned. We wanted to see what people's reaction would be to being offered East Palestine water. Now, as we were filming the reactions and the security guards pushing us away from the building, a news story dropped directly into our lap, and well, all it took was a bottle of water. A Department of Transportation employee walked up to our table. He had a badge on. He's a 25-year veteran of the Department of Transportation, and he began to spill incredible amounts of information about what the DOT was doing. He told us about how the Department of Transportation was allocating resources based on the politics of a state, blue state versus red state. Talked to us about the bungling of the train incident and told us about open politicization and criminality inside of the department under Pete Buttigieg. Moral people trapped in immoral systems eventually break. They have to shout the things that are going on. They have to tell someone. And this person decided to walk up to our table and tell us 
We pray that there will not be any retaliation to this employee, and we've gone out of our way to hide this person's identity. What you're about to watch is a raw video from the streets of Washington, D.C., out front of the Department of Transportation, all inspired by a bottle of water poisoned in East Palestine. Free water from East Palestine? Sir! Sir! I saw that knowing glance. I, 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 that's why I'm right here. I know, they kicked me out. Yeah, they won't let me stand in front of the building. But you see him drinking. That's right. Why isn't he drinking it? Well, he has his own dining room. Did you know he has his own dining room? No I, way. He don't eat with the plebes. He doesn't eat with the rest of us. So, really? He has his own dining room? They have his own dining room up there. We hardly so. see him. He shows up, uh, first of all, like if you have a party or something. And what yeah. they do is they come around and... They want to make sure there's enough people in the office that day so that he has people to greet. It's all an elaborate production. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> this building's three quarters empty. These federal government buildings are all empty. Yeah, that, oh, that's exactly right. And I lived in D.C. for a long time. I, I, I'm aware. You it's, walk through it, it's like a ghost town. It's embarrassing. Yeah. I'm in Federal Railroad and we... I don't get it. Nobody panicked. There's no scramble. I'm like, why? Dude. Why aren't we taking this serious? Yo, I got to tell you, I went. we went there, you know, like right away, and it was bad. Oh, I'm sure it is. Oh, my, the eyes were stinging, the mouth was stinging, and we were seeing these little kids. I'm like, man, this sucks. And I, I don't care where you come from politically. No kids should live like, you know, no, you know. You know. Yeah. 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 Even like conservatives, a lot of Republicans were like, where's the federal government? I'm now on a project of handing out money. Yeah. We're supposed to be subjective or objective. Mm -hmm. well, they'll step in. Well, we want this project because it's, it's, it's a you know, blue state. Oh, uh -huh. so no matter how bad it is, they, they, so they appoint these leaders of each group and then they, they make sure the money be recommended. That's how it works. That it goes to a blue state, not a red state. Right. So you think this was politically motivated in East Palestine? Yeah. It was at this point that we couldn't believe our ears. The Department of Transportation allocates money based on red states or blue states that they straight up decided not to help East Palestine because of their political affiliation. This was a county, of course, that voted for Trump by 70%. So this was politically motivated. And you have that directly from inside of the building. This is shocking stuff. But ladies and gentlemen, this Department of Transportation employee wasn't done yet. No, no, no. The worst is yet to come. Right away, they're quick to blame the railroad. And the railroad did everything right. The railroad asked permission. Yeah. It's the government that told them to blow it up. The I don't know if you know this, but years ago, they made a big fuss about trains carrying these chemicals that go through these urban areas. Okay. Now they reroute them through all these little towns. Oh, man. A lot of people, they, the press doesn't doesn't bring any of this up, but I was here 20 years, I know this. They made it a point to reroute these trains. So all these little towns get They shaft these little these little towns, these trains go rolling through, and yet they kill pipelines. More stuff probably comes off the railroad than the pipelines. Yeah, dude. Railroads. And the pipelines go through nothing. You know, they don't go through towns. I'll tell you this, and you didn't yeah. hear this from me. Okay. When in the office, they're, they're saying the railroads are down 15% since COVID, but we know the derailments are up. They're paint, trying to paint that picture so as not to bring the harsh light. If you normalize it, for all the, there were less railroads running during COVID, but they, they're just looking at the total. There were fewer freight trains running because of you know, supplies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So 
they're trying to say, hey, the Romans are down, don't look at us, but actually, we think the Romans are up. Because they're going off the co the, the COVID numbers Correct. of Which like lower less miles, trains. But yeah, if of you course. normalize that fashionably, the number per per mile is up. That's crazy. Yes. And they and then Pete was saying, oh, it didn't have the brakes. Trump killed this brake rule. The brake rule would not have been applicable here. Everybody has said that. So. So it's political. Well, political. So it's political. And now they're just trying to cover their asses. Wow. Yeah. And that's complied with everything. <laughs> that's what I hear. What blows me away as someone who's not, I don't consider myself particularly intelligent, is that these people, look at this, they say they're environmentalists, right? But they ignore the one of the largest man-made environmental catastrophes. And, you know, you have the Alaska pipeline. I, don't, I, I see pictures, Alaska looks beautiful. I don't see problems. Who killed that pipeline? But these trains are rolling through middle America, carrying all kinds of... Don't Those people don't have any political power, right? Yeah. That's, they don't have any lobbyists. There's the deplorables. That's right. The deplorables. That's right. That's right. They, they don't they don't write press releases, you know? Here's another one. So, like, shouldn't there twice be... weekly, the regulation requires a human being to walk the tracks or ride a vehicle over the track and look for defects. Interesting. That's the regulation. Yeah. So the railroads, about three years ago, said, hey, you know, we can do that better with automatic inspection systems, computers on vehicles, they measure, they shoot laser beams. It's a fact. They capture information that's better. Yeah. This administration put a hold on all that because it takes away union jobs. <laughs> so now it's coming out that, hey, wouldn't have this derailment maybe if it had been track caused. Maybe an automatic system would have found that versus human eyes, oh, yeah. probably. That's how they do everything. This administration is uh, everything's for labor unions. I don't make it up, but dude, I can tell you this unofficially, but that's how it is. Man, listen, there there are people who still believe in the, like the mission, and it gets destroyed by the ambitions of of bad bad people men and women. Are left or right. People are leaving. Really? As as they can. Wow! Wow! And we don't have a lot of money. I, I see that the government's printed up a lot of money. Yeah. Oh, hand, we hand out money left and right. It's like, well, what are we doing? Why are we handing these people, these big corporations, money? I thought you were supposed to have an infrastructure bill or something, right? Trillion bucks. Yeah, yeah, all this money. It's like, what are we doing? Like, why? Well, good luck. If you're standing out here, you're going you're gonna to be, uh, you know. Well, yeah, well, maybe it'll send the message. Mr. Climate here. A lot of people have been laughing at us. Some people have taken the bottles of water. I don't think they get the joke. So, uh, you know. Hi, Benny. Nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you. All right. Here's a summary of what we learned from our Department of Transportation whistleblower. The Department of Transportation was cripplingly slow to respond to the tragedy in East Palestine. DOT employees are humiliated by this, and they know why it happened. The lack of urgency in East Palestine was purely political, based on the tragedy being in a red state and not a blue state. Essentially, the Biden administration viewed the toxic train derailment as less important because of how these people vote. Moreover, we learned the Department of Transportation allocates funding based purely on politics. If the state is blue, it will get priority. Red states get ignored. The Department of Transportation prioritizes servitude to union jobs over safety, holding back technology that might have prevented the train crash in East Palestine and lowering regulations to appease union paymasters. The mission of the DOT has become hyper-politicized. It's making career appointees very nervous. 
This hyper-politicization comes from the top. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg is not well-liked in the building due to his absentee, weak, politically ambitious leadership. Ultimately, under Buttigieg, morale is critically low inside of the Department of Transportation. It's in chaos. It is an empty building with employees looking for the door. Now, this would be what you would call a whistleblower. This would be why Republicans should immediately begin to subpoena people from inside of the Department of Transportation, because clearly they're covering up something here, and it's very, very bad. People's lives are at stake. The people of East Palestine may never get their town back. They will never be the same. War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplug Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code warroom at checkout to save 67%. And do it again. Warroomhealth, all one word, warroomhealth.com. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there, do it today, check it out.